It is chaos. Tables are flipping, coins are flying, the doves are wildly flapping about. The sheep are as confused as they ever are. And the cattle are beginning to low and stamp and kick up their heels at all of the commotion. And that's just those animals. Still, there are other animals, the human animals, whose bodies seem to be clashing even more. Emotions are running high as Jesus springs into action and lets loose his hot anger in the temple. His zeal, they call it. We don't talk a lot about zeal these days, but, but here he shows us what it is and what it can look like. Passionate, determined, unafraid. Zeal comes from a Greek word that sounds like water bubbling in a pot, as if what you carried inside was boiling over. Here, his zeal is fully embodied, which is to say he is fully in his body. He's also fully aware of all the other bodies around him, coming and going, some of them trying to wring out a prophet, others hoping only to make their way into worship. It seems like a foreign scene to us today. It's not often that we see animals sacrificed in church. I won't say never. (laughs) Uh, That's a story for another day. Um, And typically, we don't have to snake our way through a whole slew of vendors to make our way into the sanctuary. It's hard to understand what's going on here. Perhaps the the most important starting point that I want to make is is to make it abundantly clear that Jesus is not criticizing the Jews or Jewish practice. Remember, he himself is a Jew. This temple is where he worships, and this is how he worships. And he's angry. One reason for his fury may be that these money changers and merchants are preventing people from worshiping. There is a required temple tax to enter, but people have to exchange their Greek or Roman coins, the money everyone uses everywhere else, for shekels to be used there in the temple. And the money changers, they they often take their own cut, a little bit on the top, cheating folks in the process. It's the same with the people who are selling the animals needed for sacrifices, but doing so at a gross profit. The other Gospels call them a a den of robbers. And I think this is some of why Jesus is so worked up. He sees that these merchants and money changers are keeping people out keeping them from drawing close to the holy in the temple. He is unwilling to let business continue as usual. And here in John's gospel, it's more complicated than that. 
He's mad and he's full of zeal. And in the same breath, he gets to work teaching the temple leaders and anyone who will listen. It's all about the body he's teaching them. And they have such a hard time hearing this. It's not surprising that they're confused because it is absolutely mystifying. Jesus is flipping everything over, not just tables. He's flipping over their worldview, and I would venture to guess he's flipping ours over too if we slow down enough to really hear him. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up, he says. It sounds like it could be a taunt, and instead it's a promise of immensely good news. I think we know this now, or at least like the disciples were able to read the story backwards to understand that he's talking about his body. He's not goading them with the claim that he can place stone on top of stone, as so many workers have done for 46 years to rebuild the whole temple by himself in just three days. (coughs) He's promising something far greater in the resurrection that is to come. He's telling us that his body is the temple, that it is holy, that it is a home for God. They had all believed that it was necessary to go to the temple to find God. And this was how he had been raised, too. (coughs) Excuse me. I have no doubt that he agrees that that's true, that God can be found in these holy places. And he's telling them that it's not the only place. God is to be found elsewhere, too. God is present in him, in his body, in a very particular way. But he doesn't stop there. He's showing that he believes that God is present in all people, in all bodies. This is why he's incensed that the merchants and money changers are taking advantage of some people, of some bodies, denigrating them and keeping them out of the temple because they cannot afford to come in. These people longing to enter, they are icons of God. They, too, are temples of the holy. So, too, are you. So am I. We all are. This is where it can get awfully difficult. This is where it comes so clear that following Jesus is every bit as countercultural today as it was then. The first book I read on my sabbatical last fall is called Rest is Resistance by Tricia Hersey. Some of you have heard me talk about her. Years ago, she began working under the title of The Nap Bishop. And she leads a vibrant, now international ministry centered on teaching and advocating, and most especially, helping people rest. I had bought the book at least a year earlier, and it had sat on my shelf 
waiting. Finally, though, I picked it up, and I was more or less assuming that I knew what I would find. Encouragement to sleep, a reminder of how important and subversive Sabbath is, stuff like that. What I actually found was far more inspiring and also far more challenging. In her book, Hersey recounts how deeply she was rooted in our grind culture, often working multiple jobs to try to make it all work and then continuing at that pace while adding on seminary and parenting a small child. Hers is the kind of situation that makes my head spin just thinking about it, and one that I assume has no room to slow down. The kind of situation where we tend to think that if you slow down, you're only going to get further behind. At least that's what we've been taught. And it's an idea that I have bought time and again. As she neared a breaking point, though, Hersey had the realization that something had to change. She came to the conviction that her ancestors, many of them enslaved, that they had toiled too hard for her to continue living that way now. Life is too precious for that. She did not have the financial means to stop working. She did not have a safety net. This is not the story of someone who had piles of wealth at their disposal and so then decided to take it easy. Quite the opposite. And still, somehow, she decided to rest. Her beginning to rest was both an act of trust and also one of subversion. It was as faithful as it was radical. Hersey understands, I think, in the way that Jesus demonstrates here in this story, that our bodies are homes for God. We are made in God's image, yes, but even more so, she understands that God's spirit dwells within us, that we can meet God in one another. How deeply problematic, then, that so often we ignore our bodies, mistreat them, grind them far beyond what they are designed to take. Percy offers us another way to stop, to love, to trust. Stop giving our lives over to the market economy quite so much. Love our bodies a little bit more. Trust that we can slow down even a little bit. Trust that God will be there in the rest. And my goodness, this is hard to do. Because it's not a matter of just consuming a little more self-care, delightful as that can be. It's a whole order change, even if we take it only one step at a time. It's no wonder that the leaders of Jesus' time, these ones who are wise and deeply invested in looking for God and loving people, that, that even they have no idea what he's talking about. They mostly see the practical, which is a way of reaching for the holy, 
They are working on the temple still. They're waiting and longing and hoping for it to be finished. In some ways, they are pointed in the right direction. But he is inviting them to go way, way further. To meet God in the temple, yes, and also to, God, to find God everywhere. To find God in his body and in each other's. My hunch is, is that we, too, need to slow down and hear this radical teaching. We need to take it in and wrestle with it. We need to wrap ourselves in it like a blanket. It is work that can be as active as it is comforting, because our bodies need both. We need to push and strive, yes, push to make space for those who have been kept out, strive to make, those, make things right for those who have been exploited. And we also need to hear this wild teaching about ourselves. Let it land as comfort. Come around us as the tender promise that our bodies too are beloved and holy. They deserve care and reverence and rest. Jesus has flipped the tables and he is flipping everything still. If we are to seek God, if we are to find God, we cannot continue with business as usual. We can't cheat or grind our way to the holy. But we can start by paying attention to the temples of our bodies and there meet God.